This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The voices of Krypton podcast is say they speak superhero. And that doesn't mean nothing to me. You see, I've taken on James Bond. I fought Batman. I mean, yeah, sure, they won, but they wouldn't have. If only I had a little more cowbell. I'm Ed Gross, author of Voices from Krypton, the unofficial oral history of Superman, coming from Nacelle Books in 2023. And this is Voices from Krypton, the podcast where we speak superhero. And we're also pretty fluent in sci-fi and action. No filmmaker intends on making a bad movie, though sometimes you can't help but watch a finished film and ask, did they read the script before they started shooting? One Head Scratcher is 1987 Superman IV, The Quest for Peace, the final entry in the Christopher Reeve series that began triumphantly, with 1978's Superman the Movie. Superman 4 was mired in problems, not the least of which was the fact that Canon Films had cut the production budget in half from $35 million to $17 million on the eve of production, and the results were obvious. Back when the film was in the final stages of post-production, I had the opportunity to speak with director Sidney J. Fury, and as you'll see in the following conversation, he certainly seemed enthusiastic about what they were doing and how things were coming together. What stage are you at now? Are you at the final, final editing stage, or...? Yes, we're in the final editing stage. We're just getting ready um, uh, for the music, you know, sound dubbing, all of that. Who's doing the music this time? starts in three weeks. Uh-huh. Who's doing the soundtrack this time? Do you mean the music? Yeah. Uh, it's being supervised by John Williams. Yeah. Oh, really? Yes, he's writing the new theme, and his arranger is scoring the picture. Oh, I see. He wrote the new themes and he supervises his arranger. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. So, the, right. In other words, instead of him writing out everything, which they never do anyway, mm-hmm. you know, they always use guys. Yeah. Like ghostwriters. Right. They don't. Although he's he 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 does a lot of his stuff and a lot do, but they'll use other people to orchestrate. They're called orchestrators. Mm-hmm. But he's written new themes for the new characters here. Oh, good. But are you going to yeah. use the traditional Superman theme? or Absolutely. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Traditional Superman theme, right off the original charts that he wrote, the whole thing. In fact, the guy who's doing the um, uh, arranging or, you know, that stuff, name is Alexander Courage, who actually wrote the Star Trek. Right, thing. right. Yeah, yeah. 
So he's doing the arranging of John Williams' score, basically. Correct. Okay. Right. To John Williams' uh, specs. Right. They're okay. working together. Each have tapes of the picture, and they talk on the phone. Mm -hmm. Courage is here in London. John Williams is in L.A. or Boston or wherever he hangs out. Right. Okay, do you think the film is going to be ready for its July 18th release, or...? I sure hope so. <laughs> the complication is we have 550 optical shots in the picture. Wow. That's a lot. Sure. I mean, some are only wire removal shots. Mm -hmm. Others are uh, animation. Nuclear Man, our, our villain, Lex Luthor's creation, who's called Nuclear Man. Yeah. He does a lot of sparking from his hands. Mm -hmm. eyes and everything he sends out electrical charges so there's tremendous animation on all of this hmm. because I had read uh, you know one of the scripts I had got my hands on one of them and in the script he's described at one point as being sort of a molten man until he takes on a firm no, that was form. the original script that was changed uh, he's now a human he never artist. takes on another image mm He's just a human-looking person then, right? He's a, definitely a human. He was cloned from Superman's hair, cell of, human, of Superman's hair, right? and he was uh, baked in the sun, and uh, he's a Greek god-looking guy. Mm -hmm. I saw clips on Entertainment Tonight of the guy. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, has it become more on the level of, uh, I'm sure you saw the other Superman films. Is I've it... seen every one of them. Oh, okay. So it's it a... its own Superman. It isn't like any of them. Mm -hmm. Okay. It has nothing in common with any of the three. Yeah. It's its own self. Okay. okay. How did you uh, get involved with this thing in the first place, you know, Superman 4? How did you get involved with it? Well, I knew they were looking for a director. And I'd never done anything like it. And uh, it's like someone who doesn't know computers who wants to learn computers, having been a director at that point 29 years. Uh, I'm 54 now. Mm -hmm. I said, I've got to learn all this shit because it's uh, something I don't know. It won't be boring. Right. Not that a movie is ever boring, but, you know, mainly... You know how to do it. You know how to make it. It's a question then of the acting and the story. <laughs> and this was an opportunity uh, to learn about effects and to uh, run a very big picture. It's like being a general and having an army behind you or having a little squad. <laughs> and uh, I, I wanted to do it, but that's not how I got it. I was offered it. They didn't even know if I wanted to do it. Yeah. And so when he, when Menachem Golan said to me, do you want to do Superman? I said, you got it. So <laughs> it was very, very fast. Yeah. I actually came in to pitch him another idea. And he said, well, I don't like your idea, but listen to mine. I want you to do Superman. I said, great. Better than my idea. <laughs> sure. You know. So it worked extremely well. And, uh, it's interesting, but there's nothing new under the sun, even though it's all complicated effects and everything. Strangely enough, nothing, I guess, is foreign to you when you've come up in movies and you've done 
bits and pieces of everything. Yeah. It's been more of an organizational task mm-hmm. uh, when you have something this intricate. Yeah, it was. it's, it's huge organizational because you're commanding a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, and still it has to be done within time period yeah. because of the economics. So you're really trying to work out all of this and how. And I had the advice and help of a marvelous visual effects supervisor. That's the title. Most people don't even know what that is because most titles on most movies are made up to suit the ego of the person. Right. But a visual effects supervisor is someone who is in charge of all effects that are going to be done optically. As opposed to special effects, which are done on the floor, on the set. Right, okay. As opposed to model effects supervisor, where there are models mm-hmm. that are done. Right. That may also have special effects, but they're their own self. Mm-hmm. So at any given time on this picture, we had the main unit shooting with me. We had a second unit shooting, which sometimes did flying things against blue screen and sometimes did parts of action sequences. Mm-hmm. We had a model effects unit shooting. At one time we had six unit shooting. Really? We had models we had model blue screen plus models. Mm-hmm. We had double blue screen. That's on one huge stage. We had two units shooting flying blue screen work. Wow. Plus the main unit. No, that was five. Five was the most we ever had going at the same time. Right. But you never felt overwhelmed by all the effects then? Not for one second. That's what shocked me. Yeah. And I never did because I had prepared a movie at Fox called Marvel of the Haunted Castle, which never got made. Yeah. And I spent one year on it. And I, it was like going to school. I learned how you prepare an effects movie. You draw it is how you do it. You storyboard it. And I, the first person I hired when I got on this picture was a storyboard artist. I said, who's the best guy in England? And they told me he was available and he came in. And I knew we had to draw every effect. So you have storyboards. And then from those storyboards, everybody figures out how that effect will be achieved. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it will be a blue screen shot, whether it will be a model, whether it'll be a combination of blue screen and model, whether it'll be a live effects, all of that, it's, it's all broken down and dealt with. Right. So once you draw it, the experts come in, they know exactly what to do, and then you become an expert. Very quickly, you say, well, wait a minute. Can't we do this with a little model here and, and then have a blue screen shot here and this here, and we'll shoot this little part of it. So suddenly you effect. know all about it, right? You, you fit in very, very yeah. quickly. It's like you writing for this particular publication, and Time Magazine comes and says, we want you to go to Europe, and we want you to cover Europe for us. And you start interviewing, you ask slightly different questions. That's all. Right. You know, 
how did you get into the Red Brigades, or why are you in the PLO, what are your aims, et cetera, et cetera. It's different questions and different answers, but it's the same process. Right. It's still a scene in the movie that has to be achieved, and it's, it's, it's exciting. I mean, it's been the most exciting year of my life. Really? You know, win, lose, or draw, because that we don't know. Only an audience can tell us that. Sure. It's been exciting because it's the magic of movies. It's, it's the real McCoy. Now, how much more magical do you get than Superman and movies put together? That's right. How much more? You know, Star Wars, that's it. Star Wars series, Superman series. Really? Sure. And they've got the flying now down to an art. That's you what know? I was going to ask you, too, yeah, how difficult it was with the flying, yeah. No, because it's simple, because they know what to do. They've done it, you know, I mean, they've done it so many times now. It, it's like everything. You invent the wheel, and you don't have to reinvent it. Every, anybody can look at it and make a wheel. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with all technology, I guess. Once someone does it, everyone else knows how to do it. Right. And... Uh, now, do you have the, the same or similar crew to the previous Superman Well, films, we have or? similar. We have, you know, it, it, it's every Superman has had slightly different people, but there's an overlapping of people. Yeah. So you get somebody who's worked on one of them. Mm -hmm. Now, the flying guy, Bob Harmon, is the wire specialist, they call him. I think he's been there from the beginning. He wasn't the head guy, but he emerged and uh, he just knows how you rig it for the flying. And then the uh, second unit director, whose name is David Lane, L-A-N-E, has worked on all of them as something. Right. So he knows all the blue screen stuff. Now, up to now in England, they have used mainly front projection, which has been a no-no in Hollywood for years. Yeah. But they got away with it in the other Superman because most of their sequences were at night. Mm -hmm. Right. Ours are in the daytime, and we're using no, no projection. We're using blue screen because the blue screen process today is incredible. Yeah. It, it's, a, uh, it's a much better process. So this will have a cleaner look than the other one? That's right. It's a cleaner look. Exactly. There's no edging anymore to blue screen. There's no rimming. They're, it looks like they're actually out there flying. Right. Wow, because, I mean, previous films you've looked at, it, yeah, I mean, it's... If you study it, you'll see yeah. uh, that it's blue screen. The background is out of focus, and it's yeah. fuzzy. And the famous uh, flying around New York was done at night. Right. Which is much easier in blue screen. We have a flying around America in daytime. Oh, is that the scene? Uh, that, yeah, I have a, an article here with Christopher Reeve that's going to appear in the magazine. He mentions that he came up with a scene where they tour America. Is that the one you're talking about? Right, correct. Yeah, okay. Right. And, and it works more effectively than, uh, than, you know, than the previous one in the first film? Oh, I, I don't say... No, 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 no. I'm just saying that physically... I mean, that it looks cleaner is what I'm saying. I'm saying it looks cleaner. Technically, yeah. it's a better process. Right, right. But, of course, the, the first film was done 10 years ago. Oh, sure. And it's changed a lot since then. Mm -hmm. Process. 
Oh, sure. Artistically, I'm not saying. Oh, I didn't mean it that way. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it no, that way. No, you meant technically. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Chris was just here for the last four days. We were going through the picture, and he saw his first uh, blue screenshot of, from the States. They're being done in L.A. Yeah. And he couldn't believe it. Really? Yeah, I mean, he was really, really knocked out with the uh, quality of it. Yeah. There's no edging at all to it. There is no edge to any of the people flying. But it's a very involved process. It's a process that has at least 22 steps. Wow. 22 separate elements or steps have to be done to get it. Uh, and as I say, we have 550 of them. That's amazing. It just seems so overwhelming. It's amazing that you can just it is. grab it's it all. It's completely overwhelming, but it's like on a production line assembly, mm-hmm. and a guy named Harrison Ellenshaw right. is the a visual effects supervisor. Mm-hmm. And he comes by way of Disney. and uh, Oh, sure. Uh, his father was Peter Ellenshaw, who's the most famous matte painter in the history of Hollywood. He did the mats on his picture. He came out of retirement and did our mats. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And uh, and Harrison, uh, last picture was Captain EO, you know, that $20 million, oh. 17-minute film <laughs> yeah. at Disneyland. Right. I had a hard time uh, getting him hired. They said, wait a minute, I'm not sure we want a guy who just was part of a picture that was $20 million for 17 minutes. Uh, but I got him on, and he's been incredible. Really? And and I, I must I must say this because I think it's cute. We set up our own optical effects facility in Los Angeles, and instead of calling it Superman Four or Canon LA or you know, they gave it a name to operate under, and they call it Olson Lane and White. <laughs> which you recognize Jimmy Olsen, Lois Lane of course White. and it, the stationery is Olsen Lane and White this is Olsen Lane and White and it's, it's cute because people in that end of the business are hip yeah. you know it's like ILM people they've all worked at ILM Harrison worked on Star Wars you know right I mean they've all come through all of that and they're a breed they're a breed of uh Artists, they're like graphic artists for uh, um, magazines and stuff. Right. They're the same kind of individuals. Mm-hmm. They're just making it move on the screen instead of being stationary. Yeah, we have forty of them in that facility. Wow. Correct. Yeah. We have people who are rotoscopers. <laughs> they get rid of wires, and others who do animation, and then all the stuff in between. Right. Wow. Like I said before, it just seems incredible that you can orchestrate all this to pull it all together. Yeah, and the audience takes it for granted. You better have a good story. Yeah. They don't care about this. This, this they just say, oh, it better work. That's it. I mean, that's their concern. What's it looks the story? Funny, oh, sure. It. Yeah. Oh, there's no, <laughs> you get nothing for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, only but if it that's doesn't how look it good. Be. Story is everything, and story is what drives us. And story is what attracted me to this Superman, because it's a good story. Okay. It's, what... it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful story when you think these guys started working on it way before me, before they ever knew the word Gorbachev, 
It is a story of coexistence in the world. I mean, coming out this summer is, I think, a beautiful timing for this. Well, I mean, I've read the script. I do know what the storyline is, and you're right. It is an incredible story. The idea of Superman ending, uh, you know, creating disarmament on both That's sides right. is incredible. And then he says at the end, as corny as it is, but it's true, he says, hey, I can't do that. Exactly. you got to do it. Yeah. You've got to tell your leaders that you want this. And that's what I'm hoping for. You know, it's funny because the last scene in the picture, which is in every version of the script, is he takes this young kid up because he says to the world, he says, I wish you could see the world the way I can. Right, I remember that. Takes this young kid up for a flight. He says, what do you see, Jeremy? The kid says, I see rivers and mountains. I see rain. I see ocean currents but I can't see where one country begins and another one ends. There are no borders. It's one world. And Superman says, if you can see it, and I can see it, maybe one day everyone will right. see it. That's really... And I'm proud of that. And you know, if that's corny, then fuck it. That's what I want to be, is corny. Because uh, it's not that it's a message, it's just a good feeling. And to me, the, the thrill of it all is that this is a family picture. I think this is the first picture I've ever made that didn't have the word fuck, shit, cunt, prick in it. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, it hasn't got anything. A family can sit there and have a good time and be moved a little bit. Right. And, uh, but they'll judge it, you know? I mean, what keeps us going through all this stuff is we have to believe in it. If ultimately the audience doesn't, well, it doesn't matter because we're finished with it. We don't have to believe in it once we're finished, but to get up in the morning and go face each day's work, you got to believe you got something. Oh yeah. And the script is such a good one. I mean, it really is. It's a good one. And we shot the script. I mean, it isn't that we, we didn't trash it. Right. In fact, Chris came over this weekend, and mostly what we were doing is putting back nuances that had been cut for pacing. Oh, really? And he said, come on, we can restore this, 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 and this. And we did. And we've worked, we all work very closely together. That's the beauty of this. Yeah. Because Chris Reeve is Superman. I mean, you're not dealing with an actor. Right. You know, he's played it now for 10 years. He's still a young man. He's 34. He was 24 when he started. Yeah. And you're dealing with Superman. He tells you, no, Superman wouldn't do this or he wouldn't do this. And you believe him. Right. right. Well, you know, I've got... So, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, in this interview here I've got with three for the magazine, it says that, uh, let me just see where it is, it says that he had directed some of the second unit stuff on this, and... He did one sequence. He did a fight on the moon, which I think was brilliantly done. It was a... Because it's the moon, I had conceived of this sequence with the storyboard artist. It wasn't in, It isn't in the original script. Right. And I said, look, we need something between Nuclear Man and Superman that's physical. Because in the end, you get down to that. But we can't have punching, because that won't be right. So by having them on the moon with the gravity of the moon, 
we have a, a very interesting sequence where they had to be on wires a lot. And I said to Chris, listen, why don't on your days off, why don't you want to direct, why don't you do this sequence because you know more about wires than anybody, which he does. Yeah. And I think he did a brilliant job with it. And uh, it'll be there for people to see. Right. Because he, he, he did say that he, he occasionally helped you stage some scenes and things. This is what he said, anyway. No, it's quite so, true. Yeah. So Okay. So it's a real collaborative effort, in other words. It's a collaborative effort. Yeah. There is absolutely... I think every movie is. Oh, it has to be, I think, no? Has to be. Yeah. Has to be. Really? I mean, uh, he had the uh, original idea, and then he worked with the writers who did the screenplay. Mm-hmm. Then I came in, and uh, what I did was I built up the Lois Lane love interest again. That's where this picture differs from the early script. Yeah. Is because I'm older. Chris, I know, was worried, well, can Superman be with Lois Lane, who's now older? But the fact is that... uh, Older women still have something. Mario Kid has definitely got something. <laughs> and she's got something in this movie. And now it's interesting because Chris, as early, as late as this morning, was telling a guy from Warner Brothers, you know, Margot is really good in this movie. So although there's Mario Hemingway, who is interested in Clark Kent, right. Lois is still there for Superman. And it's kind of cute. Yeah. Well, I mean, he says in this article as well that in that scene where he takes Fly and he sort of reintroduces the idea that he's really Clark Kent and Superman are the same person, but then he right. takes the memory away from her again, mm-hmm. which is kind of, a, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of, that's the only rough part I have with that is the way he can keep giving her and taking her <laughs> well, memory away. Well, in Superman, I, I tell you my own feeling. Yeah. The two greatest things of the Superman series to me was the flying in Superman 1 with the two of them. Yeah. And the love story in 2, when he took it away, right. he kissed her and she lost it, but she knew who he was. Because in the comic strip for years, oh. she kept <laughs> saying funny things like, hmm, you know, I wonder what Clark would look like without his glasses, right? <laughs> right. And... Those were elements I liked, and you judge it in this movie. I think you will find it enchanting on how that works, on how that uh, taking it away works. Yeah. Uh, Because I think it does work, and I think it does, you know, hey, it's a myth. It's mythology. Right. Right. Well, let me ask you something. You a moment ago, uh, or a couple of moments ago, were stating how much you liked the story for this movie. All right. Now, I'm curious, is it tough, though, to combine that relative theme of nuclear disarmament with what is essentially comic book superhero? Brilliant, brilliant question. (laughs) The audiences of America will tell us, will will answer that question. Brilliant question. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. In other words, when I read it, that's what I said. I said, boy, I love this. And I think... That's what makes all this nonsense work. Maybe it'll be too real for an audience. But they won't want to buy it. Maybe they can buy whales 
having to make a sound to save the 23rd century. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they'll buy that because it's not real. Maybe a disarmament theme. Ooh, they won't. And I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. And no one does until it opens. Obviously, yeah. The only thing that makes it work for me yeah. is Superman is trying to disarm, and I'm laughing. Superman's trying to disarm the world, and Lex Luthor is going to sell the other side's missiles. So, <laughs> you know, every time you have one of those kind of scenes, in comes Lex and just beats up on it. Right. And that, to me, it's, 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 it's that a dichotomy that keeps it a comedy. Because it is a comedy, it's what it is, right. ultimately. And, hey, let's face it, the great comedy that we all love, be it The Apartment, be it uh, Cuckoo's Nest is comedy, has a serious underpinning to it. Right. And uh, this doesn't get that serious. But it, 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 it's going to be interesting to see if, you know, if mixed into their shredded wheat, they want some, uh, some fruit, fresh fruit. <laughs> Okay. Not dried fruit. And uh, we'll find out. Right. I don't know. And that's the fun of all this, isn't it? Uh, yeah, sure. Wondering and trying hey, to... you go up to bat, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, if the picture doesn't work, it's because they didn't buy it. The right. people said they didn't buy it. But I tell you, working on it, I've never felt it's a problem. <laughs> I've never felt that that is a problem. Because it was so much fun. He he whipped up into the stratosphere, something never in a script that we invented. Yeah. Uh, and he collects all the missiles in a huge net. Oh, really? And there's this incredible special effect shot of Superman with a net full of missiles, oh like thousands God. of missiles, awesome. which he hurls into the sun like you would a uh, javelin or a, a shot put. Right. You know, you turn around and keep going and you let it go. That's so in other words, out of this theme comes some marvelous visuals and some fun stuff. Mm -hmm. but and that'll, that'll hopefully make it light enough that an audience can say, oh, I okay. think it is light enough. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think it's light enough. I say, look, if we mixed AIDS with Superman, I don't think we got a <laughs> shot. Really? But nuclear disarmament is an old chestnut. I mean, people want, people want peace. Oh, sure. And Superman is such a goddamn Boy Scout. <laughs> that it, I think it's natural for him. Yeah. You know, because he's such a square. Uh -huh. I mean, he's a complete square. Yeah. There's nothing hip about Superman. Absolutely not. Yep. Nothing. And Clark Kent, though, is hip in his own way. And that's why I say this is its own Superman. And, uh, God, I don't know. I mean, I have absolutely no idea right. how they're going to react to it at all. But how do you feel about tackling this legacy, you know, this awesome, I guess you must feel some sort of responsibility maybe in bringing this character, this mythological character to the screen? Well, I don't know if Chris used this expression in his interview, but we always used to say, hey, babe, there's nowhere to hide if we goof it. And 
I think having courage and guts is part of the insanity of this business. Because the truth is, whether it's the great mythological character and that you have to do right by it, or it's a little movie nobody heard of, you still go into it like it's the most important thing in the world. Right. And failing is still the worst thing in the world. But you fail and you go on and you fail and you go on, you succeed once in a while and uh, you don't think about it too much, strangely enough. Yeah. I mean, it's part. it goes with the territory. We're gunslingers, you know? And you don't win every duel. Following Superman 4, the audience wouldn't get another film featuring The Man of Steel for 19 years in the form of Superman Returns. Though in between we did get the Superboy TV series, Lois and Clark The New Adventures of Superman, Superman The Animated Series, and Smallville. In other words, despite what happened with Superman 4, The Man of Steel wasn't going anywhere. And neither are we, provided you subscribe to this podcast, give us a five-star review, and tell your friends about us. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 